Welcome to the View from the Penalty Box podcast with Cam Connor. Classic hockey stories from one of hockey's toughest enforcers. Welcome to episode 49. I'm Cam Connor, along with my son, Chris. So we promised a new episode right after the Roddy Piper documentary aired, and we're keeping our promise. So, Dad, you watched the documentary. You did get some screen time. They gave you some good quotes. I thought you spoke really well. They even used some photos of the two of you growing up. So what were your thoughts on the documentary and uh, any feedback you might have? I, I enjoyed the documentary, as did my friends that grew up with Rod. I know if you're a wrestling fan and you were a Roddy Piper fan or maybe you didn't like him and you tuned in, I think you would watch it and enjoy it. Again, for me, I thought it was really good. I was interested for the whole two hours it was on and to hear Hulk Hogan talk and Hulk Hogan, he referred to that... Uh, voicemail that Rod was left that left them after he died must have been delayed somehow and showed up later that night after Rod had died and it just said something like you know to the Hulk I'm walking with Jesus I'm walking with Jesus now you know as the Hulk said that just freaked him right out um, being that Rod's dead and he's talking about Jesus when I look back at it I, I there was things that uh, I could say I learned about him I knew he was traumatized from things that happened when he was younger. I knew that the wrestlers lead a scary life. I can't speak about the guys today, but I know back in the 70s and 80s, for sure, they were on a quick, quick pace. They made a lot of money. The name guys made a lot of money, but they paid for it. And I remember Rod told me that the good majority of the wrestlers died between 35 and 45 years old because of the pace and demand of their schedules and uh, their drug use after, you know, the matches were over. And uh, as I've said before, you know, wrestling is just an awful sport to be part of at the WWE level. You fight every night of the week pretty well. Um, and if you don't fight, you don't get paid. So if you've got a broken arm, you like Rod had a hip replacement, Okay, go right ahead, but you're not making any money. So there's no unions. There's no off-season to say, well, I'll get you know, this looked at in the summer and it'll heal. So I really enjoyed the documentary. This was something that was filmed. Like I know the A&E crew came to Edmonton to interview me. It was a two-hour interview. But this was done two years ago. And uh, it was supposed to air maybe seven, eight months after um, we did um, the interview but for whatever reason they just pushed it back and pushed it back so I was pleasantly surprised when I saw that it was going to air. Uh, Rod was a unique individual. He changed my life in a real positive way. I got a kick out of it when I saw him on TV um, during the documentary where he was on stage playing his mouth organ which brought back a lot of memories. I've spoken before about Rod and I when we were 17, 18. We hitchhiked from Winnipeg to Toronto. 
which it's about, uh, I'm going to say, 1,200 miles. It took us about three days to get there because we were two big guys on the side of the road and people just weren't picking us up. Rod brought along his harmonica or mouth organ. And, he, and I said, you don't want to play that? He said, no, but I'm going to learn. So for three freaking days, he was blowing that thing when he wasn't sleeping in the ditch. It would drive me nuts because he doesn't know what he's doing. He's just blowing it. And But you know what? That guy, he was persistent. And I got to say, after a certain point, he was actually playing some songs. So it made me just remember when I saw him playing that where he first started to learn. He learned it on his own. Nobody taught him. Uh, Rod, Rod was pretty good that way. When he wanted to do something, he could accomplish it. So overall, Chris, I was very happy with it. It's interesting, you know, when they do a documentary, again, they interviewed me for two hours. I didn't know I'd be on there 30 seconds, one minute, five minutes, 10 minutes, no idea. But, you know, you could see the path that the documentary was following. So the stuff that I spoke about that was relevant to the direction the documentary was headed uh, was used. So, yeah, and it was interesting that, uh, I don't know if you sent them, did you send them the pictures of, of Rod and I growing up in, in my family's yard? Yes. Okay, I, was, I couldn't quite remember that. So it was nice again to see those photos and... Uh, and uh, my mom and dad have passed away. And there's one picture with Rod and I and my mom and dad who were just kind of peeking into the picture. So it was nice to see them in there as well. So overall, Chris, I was satisfied. I've got a PVR'd. Hopefully I don't accidentally erase it, but I'm sure it'll come on again. So God bless you, Rod. And you were happy to see that in one of the photos he was wearing your Phoenix Roadrunners jersey. In two of the photos. So, well, let me take that back. In one of the photos, yeah, that's the one I just talked about. He was, it was this wooden swing. Rod was standing on it. It's one of these swings you sit on either side and uh, it just goes forward and back, forward and back, and you sit on it. So he was standing on it. And I was glad, actually, because that was a long time ago, just the night before or two nights before, Rod was in a bar and a guy just sucker punched him, just drilled him. And then Rod and this guy, they fought in the bar. Then they went outside and Rod cleaned his clock. And uh, But Rod had a lot of blood on his, on my hockey jersey. And so obviously he, he uh, washed it and got all the blood out. And the other, what my wife Sherilyn noticed was that when Rod, towards the latter half of the two-hour documentary, they showed Rod playing with his kids. And he also had on a number 17 Phoenix Roadrunner hockey jersey. I, I assume I gave it to him. I know I gave him the first one that he's seen, but the second one, it's a different one altogether. But the, again, I was number 17 in Phoenix, so I must have given him that one, or I don't know how he came across it if I didn't give it. But so yeah, that was, that was a compliment. And the also, the other thing, just because you're talking about, you know, wearing jerseys, you'll see in the documentary that, um, he was wearing a blue jean shirt quite a bit, actually. I started to laugh because when Rod was still alive and uh, he'd come visit me in New York in different spots. And one day he come to hook up with me and I noticed he had my blue jean, my blue jean shirt on. And I said, hey, that's mine. And so I took it off him and put it back in the closet and uh, kind of forgot about it. So obviously he went and took it back 
And I saw it in the documentary. He was wearing my blue jeans shirt. So. Yeah, and I liked how they didn't just sugarcoat his life. They were seemed like they were honest about his struggles. I thought his kids spoke really well. So I learned a lot too. It was interesting. So we're going to pivot to talk about something that uh, I think it happened last night as of recording. You don't want us to call it a Tom Wilson hit because it really isn't, although some in the media are calling it a hit. We'll say the Tom Wilson incident against Panarin. I, so you've watched different angles. You've read a few articles. What are your thoughts on on that? And do you think he should have only been fined $5,000? I, I looked at it a couple of times when you brought it to my attention. And when you get in a scrum like that and everybody's pushing and shoving, and you're a big tough guy like Tom Wilson, and there's no denying it. I'm not being smart when I say that. He's a big tough guy. You don't grab a little guy who is a skilled player who gets 30 goals every year pretty well, plus minus 30 goals. And Wilson ends up with him roughing this guy up and somehow his helmet came off and Wilson threw him to the ice and he hit his head on the ice without a helmet. And if you've ever skated and you've fallen and hit your head on the ice, I'm going to tell you, does that ever hurt? Like quite a bit. I've only done it two or three times in my life, especially when you're growing up and you're learning how to skate. Oh, that hurts so. Anyways, so this guy, he hit his head right on the ice, and I know that would have hurt him. But, you know, like, to me, that's a lack of respect. Like, this kid, you know, the Russian, Panarin, I looked up, he's five foot eleven and 170 pounds so he's tall and skinny he's a skilled player you get wilson he's 6'4 220 to do that to that kind of guy that doesn't take any guts I, I don't like that now when you see kevin reeves with vegas he's a big tough boy probably right around the same size as wilson and he kevin comes after tom wilson you don't see him standing up like he does against the five foot eleven one seventy. So I would I would say if that's if Wilson if he you know would do the same thing to the other tough guys, that's one thing. But you don't do it to a guy like that who's not a physical guy. He hasn't hurt anybody. Nobody's mad at him. So to me, you know, I don't know Tom Wilson. He's probably a great guy. But that's a chicken shit move. Like you just don't do that. And so I didn't like that. And again, you know what, if you've got some guts, do it to, do it to, you know, Kevin Reeves on, on Vegas, who is one of the toughest, if not the toughest in the NHL. Then you got my vote, Tom, that uh, you stood up to a tough guy and not just push some uh, guy that you have 50 pounds on and, uh, you know, five, six inches on. And I should remind everyone about your social media channels. So you're on, you're on everything, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. So your Twitter is Cam Connor NHL. And it's the same name on all the other social media channels. You're on Cameo if anyone wants a, a shout out, share some stories. And we'd love to hear questions or topic ideas. View from the penalty box at gmail.com. So on Twitter, speaking of social media, quite a few people have mentioned the recent success of Cole Caulfield for the, of the Montreal Canadiens and kind of comparing your success in the fact that you've both scored key overtime goals, you've both kind of took advantage of the moment in the sense of maybe not getting a lot of ice time previously, 
And so people are comparing you to, to Cole. So do you have any thoughts on, on that? You know, I'm not seeing the comparison myself. He's a young guy. He's not very big. He's American. I'm a Canadian. I scored my overtime goal, double overtime goal in the playoffs. It was against Toronto. He scored an overtime league game in Toronto. So, you know, we both scored some overtime goals, but he's got a good future ahead of him. Um, as far as from what I read, you know, he just didn't play the last seven minutes of the game. Whereas in my double overtime goal, I didn't play the first, second, third, first overtime and one shift in the fifth period. Um, and that's when I scored my overtime. And some people are saying, well, you know, you guys got the fresh legs. It doesn't work that way. Yeah, it's fresh legs maybe in the second or third period. But I know for myself, when you sat on that bench for, you know, as long as I did, like 100 minutes, your legs aren't ready to go. Like, you need a few shifts. You need some, uh, you know, some skating out there in order for the legs to get the blood flowing again. You got to get some timing back down. There's a, a lot of things that work against you when you don't play. And, you know, the thing is, I wanted to play every shift like any hockey player that loves what they do. But when you go to a team like the Montreal Canadiens, and uh, they had won the Stanley Cup three years in a row, Chris, with a solid, solid, solid team. I think there's about 12, if not more, guys on that team that are in the Hockey Hall of Fame. You just know, you know, when you're the new guy, you're not going to be playing that much. And so I was told that by some of the other players, don't expect a lot of ice time. They were right. Unfortunately, I didn't get much ice time that season, but I sure enjoyed playing with those guys. And I, I honestly I learned a lot about being successful in the game of hockey and the price you got to pay. So I can't, I can't really say with Cole and I, there's much of a comparison and that's just my, my opinion. Well, if anyone sees a comparison that you don't see that, they can write in and, <laughs> and convince yeah, you. Great. So it also looks like Montreal and Toronto will be, as of today, facing each other in the first round. So, Well, maybe that's why it was a big goal because, you know, Montreal, um, they're fighting for a playoff spot and uh, they're with the Winnipeg Jets. So you need every single point going down the last week or two of, the, of hockey. So, you know... That, that kept their hopes alive, and Winnipeg has lost six games in a row, which they're a better hockey team than that. Why have they? And they got a great goalie, um, some good players. They can score goals. So I, I'm not sure what's happened to Winnipeg, but I, I, the last time I looked, Montreal and Winnipeg were, were tied in points, and I don't know who's got more points in hand. But uh, it's, it's going to go down straight to the last week for sure. So... I guess with uh, Cole scoring that overtime goal, when you play overtime, well, you've, each team's got one point, and if you win it, you get another point. So, again, each point is important when you're trying to get that last spot in the playoffs. So. Yeah, and I think with Caulfield, I think the other comparison is that the fans are saying that he's not getting enough ice time to showcase his talent, and then he gets some ice time and he scores a goal. So that's kind of maybe, yeah. maybe yeah, the comparison maybe. Yeah, to you. Yeah, that could be, buddy. So speaking of uh, Montreal Canadiens, some sad news about uh, a player that you played with, uh, Gilles Lupien. 
it says the headline here is it says he's nearing the end the canadians 1974 second round pick has returned to hospital as his cancer has returned after a checkup to ensure his cancer from the year prior was in remission the doctors found something and told him we think maybe september you're made of strong stuff maybe october it is terminal you have five months to live and, and what is it krista to say what, what? I thought I read terminal lung cancer, but it doesn't say here. Okay. Well, you know, when you play with Montreal, I don't know about today's guys. I don't think they go out and they get together. And, and I could be wrong. I, I certainly don't know about every single team in the National League and how the guys handle each other. But with us in Montreal, after every home practice, we went out to the bars after. Uh, not to do the idea is to go get drunk and do all these crazy things. You know, we go out and we'd eat, uh, we'd have some beer, we'd play what's called bullshit poker with, when they had dollar bills, and we'd sit there, and all, honestly, four to five hours after every practice. And what did that do? It brought us closer together as a team. We got to know each other as individuals, not just as hockey players. And when you get to know people and respect them, um, it goes a long way on the ice. It goes a long way. And communication is better. And so Lupian was part of the team when I played there. He was there before me because we both got drafted by the Canadians in 1974. As I've said before, unfortunately, I went to the World Hockey Association. Um, I mean, as far as there's some great players that I've played with and I'm sure glad I met him, but it's just as far as the caliber of hockey and the stability of the league, plus other things. I should never have gone there. And Gilles Lupien, he never went to the World Hockey. He went right to the Canadians organization, was on the farm team for a year or two, and they brought him up. And uh, that's the same as, you know, he said he was the second round draft choice. And that was in 74. And I was a first rounder in 74. Plus four other guys. Canadians had five number one draft choices. And so the, the other guys, Chartra, Mario Tremblay, Doug Riseborough, myself, and I always forget who that 18th pick is. They only had 18 teams back then. McGregor, I think the guy's name was. I don't know whatever happened to him, but he, he didn't make it. And the other three guys I just mentioned, they played a year at the most, maybe two on the farm team and the rest of the time they were Montreal Canadiens as was Gilles Lupien. So they were a very tight team. We all got along, hung around and Gilles was no exception. He was well liked by everybody. He would always come to the rescue of anybody that was in trouble if he was dressing, if he was dressed that game to hear, you know, I'm at the age, you know, you, you, as you get older, you see more and more of your friends outside of hockey, in the game of hockey, people you played with are passing away. And you just see life going by pretty quick. And so, Gilles, so sorry to hear about it. You are a good man. And uh, I know all your teammates that live in Montreal and around North America, they respect you. And uh, it's unfortunate what has happened to you. God bless you, buddy. And what for the, those of us who don't know him, or, or like his playing style what was it says that he was six foot six so what kind of a player was he was he a fighter at all yeah, yeah. that's that and i don't know what he weighed but uh, uh he weighed 210 pounds yeah so you know 
Jill's, he, like, at 6'6", six, six, like, he knew he was a fighter. And so when he fought you, he had long, long arms. And so when he fought you, like, he'd throw them and they would hurt you. So Jill's, you know, he, he played defense. And uh, like myself, he didn't play all that much. But he was always there for his teammates, and uh, he was an aggressive defenseman. When you're a defenseman and you've got guys like Larry Robinson, Guy Lapointe, Serge Savard, uh, who else was on there? Rod Langway, like Brian Engblom. It's pretty hard to make that team, really, as a defenseman on a regular shift. Probably on another team he would have had a regular shift, but... Montreal, as I said earlier, they were a powerhouse, a powerhouse of a hockey team. So, anyway, so, Jill, it's too bad this has happened to you. And uh, keep your head up, buddy, as long as you can, and uh, we'll remember you. And we're not going to go to anything else that's positive in terms of topics, because we left off last episode with someone that you... I guess, reconnected with because of the podcast, I think. And we kind of ran out of time. So I thought if you wanted to talk about Bart Wilson and a little bit about his story, who his brother was, and we're not really sure if it's been publicized too much that he's passed. Well, it it hasn't. And, uh, you know, I played with Bart Wilson in Springfield. He was drafted by the Oilers. And they sent him to the farm team in Springfield, Massachusetts, which was in the American Hockey League. And all the years that I played hockey, and I'm talking about even house league, all the way to pro, that was the only year that I wasn't in the playoffs and playoffs. That was the first year. So our team, it was pretty unstable there in in Springfield. We just didn't make the playoffs that year. And Bart, you know, he came in and... uh, his famous brother, older, famous, bigger brother, uh, Ben Wilson, you know, both of them had a lot of guts, but Ben was uh, a way, way better fighter than Bart was. But Bart played an aggressive style, and even though he wasn't as big as, as Ben, he would not take a step backwards. He just wouldn't. So I remember Bart playing the game of hockey, loving it. You know, Bart had told me after we reconnected, he said, you know, I decided after one year in pro hockey in American League that I was going back to school. I didn't see a future, he said, for myself playing hockey. So if I remember correctly, he told me he hadn't finished high school. So when his career was over, he went back to Ontario. He finished high school. Then he ended up going to university. Then, which is remarkable to me, is that uh, he worked hard and became a dentist. You know, that's a lot of years in school. And when he was telling me this, I said, you're kidding me, man. He said, yeah, I bought my own practice. I've been in Victoria practicing for, I don't know, I'm going to say 20 years, maybe more. And I uh, said, it's going great. I was just flabbergasted that here's the guy who didn't even finish high school, ended his career. And he said, you know, I, I didn't think I could do it. But he tried, right? He tried. He put the time in. And Bart said, it's like one of his other brothers who's a doctor, he told him, if you put the time in to study and to do what you're supposed to do to pass your university, if you put the time in that you did 
you know, that you put in the time to become a hockey player, you'll have no problem with school. So he kind of just dedicated himself to going to school and just prioritizing, you know, what was important to him, his future. And he just knew I'd like to be a dentist. So he just said, you know what? It just wasn't as hard as I thought. So Bart, what a success story. I, I told him I was totally impressed, you know, that he did that. You know, you have a guy like George McPhee. George won Hobie Baker Award, which combines, you know, the athletic abilities with with his school. Yeah, it was, was right up there. And so, you know, George had the smarts and he went back to school and got his master's in business. And then he went back and got his law degree. You could expect that with, with he had that track record of being great in school. Bart told me he didn't. And so for him to come, you know, to go back and to have a goal, and to just dedicate himself to getting it done, like he's, I, I admire that so much. I don't know if I could do that. I, I would try, and you know, I wish I, I, I would have gone back to school and maybe got that education that he did, but I didn't. So that's the end of that. But so Bart, you know, we would he would phone me and uh, we'd talk about going fishing, and he wanted to go to Ontario where he had this great big boat. He sent me a picture of his boat. Oh. Was it nice? So we both had a love of fishing. And then we talked about going into northern BC, but then COVID came along and, you know, we kept talking about, well, when COVID lifts and we can move around a little bit more. And uh, he said, okay. And then he said, you know, last time I was in Ontario, I don't know, something wrong with my brain, he said. You know, that uh, he said that he just didn't remember, but he got in his car or truck. And they couldn't find him for a day, and they looked and looked for him, and the police looked, and they found him. You know, he, he was in a ditch. His car was in the ditch, and he, he said he was cold. He just laid in that ditch all night, and then they found him, and he couldn't tell him what happened. And so I said, wow, that's weird. Anyway, so he was getting it looked after, and uh, he hadn't got results the last time I talked to him. So, you know, we got busy over the summer doing things, and then uh, I hadn't talked to him for five or six months. And I said, you know what, I owe Bart a phone call, so he give me his home number. So I dialed his home number, and uh, Bart's wife answered. So I had just said, I had just said, hello, this is Cam Connor from Edmonton. Could I speak to Bart, please? And she, there was silence on the other end, and she said, well, Bart died six months ago. Holy cow, that uh, shocked me. And uh, she proceeded to tell me that he did, in fact, have problems in the brain. And I don't know if it was a cancer of the brain, but uh, he, you know, he, once they kind of got everything diagnosed and uh, like he died pretty quick, you know, Bart's wife said, well, didn't you get a phone call? Because Bart said to make sure you know that uh, he's got some problems and won't be around that long. And I said, nobody called me. And they said, well, my daughters were supposed to call you. But you know what? It's pretty hard when your dad's dying to think about phoning people. And so I hold no grudge whatsoever. I don't know how he called anybody, really. So, you know, a good man like Bart, it, uh, it's a shame. It's a shame. And uh, I've been dealt some pretty good cards in life so far. My health has been good other than I had a heart attack six, seven, eight years ago. But uh, I got three stents put in my heart. I'm good to go, and I'm actually going to go golfing in two hours. Uh, we walk the courses. I enjoy the carts. But I just know 
I'm not doing myself any favor by riding in the cart. So, although I'll add, uh, you have a shoulder that's hanging on by a thread that got, you won't you won't get surgery for. So maybe people can uh, write in yeah. and say, get your shoulder fixed right now. Uh, you know what, Chris? It's by a string. You said, yeah, that's what they did on MRI. And so now the other shoulder has been bothering me quite a bit. So I don't know what I'm going to do. But well, what you do is you go to the doctor. <laughs> so you do know what to do, but you don't want to. So yeah. But anyway, so you know, again, Bart, I admired you. You showed up during hockey games. Um, you did what you had to do to go back to school and to graduate as a dentist, which is no easy task. So. I'll always admire you, and I certainly cherish. And he was listening to the podcast, so he reached out. And uh, that's how we got a hold of each other again after many, many years. And so I appreciate that so much that you did reach out to me, and uh, God bless you, buddy. And do you keep in touch with his brother, Ben? I know you fought him, but do you keep in touch with him? Do you know what he's doing? No, I, I, I don't. I think Bart told me that he lives in Florida. He's married, lives in Florida. You know, what I was going to do is, you know, Ben had an unbelievable hockey career between the Flyers and Chicago. He's a man's man. He stood up and uh, you want to fight for two minutes, he'll stand there and exchange it for two minutes. Like he was a tough, tough boy. And I'm not just saying that. Um, and so I, I was going to ask Bart if I could uh, reach out to Ben to see if I could get him on my podcast. It was too late. I, I uh I, I I never did ask him, and I never did get the phone number. And so, Ben, if you're listening, reach out, please, buddy. Okay. Well, that was episode 49. So we'd love to hear some topic ideas, questions, things from the past, things that are going on now. You can always send us an email at viewfromthepenaltybox at gmail.com. And we love to get some reviews on the podcast. We haven't asked for some in quite a while, so... If you could send uh, or give some reviews, we'd appreciate that. Until next time, I'm Chris. And I'm Cam. Thank you.